0: You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Galatians chapter 5 tonight. And we're going to resume our study. We began last week looking at the vow, a study on marital commitments. And looking forward to what God has for us tonight in His Word. Galatians chapter 5 tonight, we're going to look at verse 13 down through verse 17. Galatians chapter 5. And let's begin in verse number 13. You may remain seated, but look if you will at verse 13. The Bible says this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh." But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things uh, that you would. And so we began last week uh, with the commitment of relational... Uh, where we would be committed to a lifestyle, a daily lifestyle of forgiveness and repentance. Tonight, I want to continue by looking at commitment number two, which is this: we will make growth and change our daily agenda. And as I mentioned last week, this has application to all relationships, not just in the marital setting, but we're looking at it in that context primarily tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this evening. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be in your house again tonight. Thank you for all that you're doing in our church and just um we're grateful and uh, we lord we're a bit overwhelmed just by your goodness to us and we pray you would give us the wisdom and the energy and the focus we need to finish well the course you've set before us and to keep our eyes and hearts fixed upon our savior and our lord and our soon coming king and lord i pray tonight as we consider the relationships that we're in whether tonight we are uh, on the status front, married or not, preparing for marriage, maybe recovering from a broken marriage, um, Lord, whatever front that may uh, find us tonight, uh, as well as those of us that have other relationships that these same principles apply, I pray you would give us wisdom and uh, just sense your leading tonight as we study your word. Lord, may our church be known as a church of folks who are committed to marriage and to the spouse that you've given to us, and uh, may we model that to the young people around us. Bless this study, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight we're looking at uh, this aspect of commitment will make growth and change our daily agenda. Um, It's funny to me, I've come to terms with this as a pastor, but people don't remember much of my sermons beyond like the funny little whatever. And the most feedback I got from this morning was the wish that biscuits and gravy would make you skinny. Some of you, that's the only thing you remember and the only thing that you agree with me on, maybe. But uh, it's interesting to me how food, as we age, becomes more and more of a battle. The other day, someone shared. I don't know if you think this is funny, but I find this hysterical. So please permit me to share and laugh. Hopefully, I won't snort here when I show it to you. But uh, here, this, these are substitutes for a healthy diet. You read some of these crazes. So for pasta, we're going to try zucchini, chips, carrots. Milk, almond milk, rice cauliflower, I love the end of this, butterness, sadness, <laughs> cheese, nope, tacos, this is stupid, I'm not doing this, that's where you end. <laughs> have you tried that, you know? Uh, my wife flowed a few of those out on me uh, with the cauliflower front, um, some with pizza and cauliflower, I can't remember if it was the crust or some other replacement, but I don't know about you, diet is a challenge, isn't it? Because no matter how healthy you eat for like an hour, then you have those... Those slip-ups that offset all that you just sacrificed for. Um, and tonight, may I just say this as it relates to our marriages, the key word that we've used now twice is this idea of daily. And I just want to challenge you that it, our marriages are the sum total of the, the relational unhealth or the sum total of relational health in the area's decisions that we are making. And I think it is our daily choice of relational unhealth and the lack of intentionality about that, that are slowly dulling and even killing marriages left and right, left and right, because we're not investing in our marriages the way we should. And so I hope you'll take this to heart, whether it's in the marriage setting or otherwise, that we need to make growth and change our daily agenda. And I just ask you, what's on your calendar tomorrow? What was on your schedule today? Um, was the overarching emphasis of your personal day as well as your relationships that you have, was it we are scheduling this day around the priorities of growth and change. That's how God views life. That's how God views the day He's given you. We need to choose that uh, in our relationships. And the analogy that (laughs) we're going to use tonight is the idea of pulling weeds and planting seeds. This idea of gardening or stewarding well, this garden, if you will, of Uh, marriage relationship. An author said this, the book that I referenced that some of these thoughts are derived from, why is it that we we don't expect our gardens to just grow by themselves? You know, from weedy land to lush gardens, yet we expect our marriages to blossom beautifully without the daily work of pulling up weeds and planting seeds. Perhaps one of the fundamental sins we all commit in our marriages, listen to me, is the sin of inattention. We're not giving them enough attention, and so I hope that you'll Take that to heart if that is the application. Now, we're going to look in Galatians chapter 5, which is dealing with believers interacting with each other. So obviously that would apply in a lot of settings, but uh, we would not be stretching the text at all to apply this to the marriage uh, relationship. And yet often when I read the book of Galatians, especially Galatians chapter 5, what do you think of? The works of the flesh, we're going to talk about those in the fruit of the Spirit. And I tend to think of that in an abstract sense or in an individual sense, when the context is clearly relational, and we're going to talk about that devouring one another and fighting against one another, and so the, this this planting and, and, and weeding this is a principle that is squarely within the bounds of Galatians chapter five. So the question tonight is that in a day where marital schedules tend to be reactionary and shallow, what important god honoring purposes of marriage and for marriage should be primarily put on our calendar. So let's talk about those two commitments in the time that we have left. Number one, let's talk about, first of all, the agenda of pulling weeds, if we can use this analogy tonight of pulling weeds. Um, I don't know if you have ever been struck by this, but aren't you amazed, those of us that are married, how opposite our spouse is on so many levels? You know, we talk about opposites attract in the sense of different personality types or whatever. And my wife and I could not be further apart on some things as far as just how we're wired, not sinful or spiritual. At least I try to remind myself of that, and I'm sure she does the same. But especially in the idea of male and female, um, you literally wake up in the morning on opposite, from opposite perspectives on the universe, just stuff that doesn't even matter. You see exactly and squarely opposite of one another. And so obviously in those differences, weeds are going to creep in. They have to be pulled out regularly for the health of that marriage all right let's talk about a few things as it relates to this as found in the text go back to verse 13. Paul says this to the brethren to those in the churches in Galatia for brethren ye have been called into liberty only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh here's now the relational component but by love serve one another (laughs) what's the first weed that we need to regularly be pulling up in the relationships God has given us. Here it is. Number one, jot this down. Schedule regular removal of selfishness. So the first thing that we have to be plucking up regularly is this weed. Oh, it's a pervasive weed, is it not? The weed of selfishness, making it about my stuff and my time, and I did it last time, it's your turn. Or you did it last time, it's my turn, depending on if it's a positive or a negative thing. And we're constantly comparing always thinking of and looking out for self. Nothing works in life, let alone in marriage, when we make our life and our relationships about our own little kingdom. Like, this is my home, this is my marriage, and I make it about me. That is doomed from the start. That is a non-starter as it relates to success. And so when you and I make it about us, and we make it about our kingdom and our preferences and our conveniences, Or allowing those weeds to sprout. One author I was reading said this, if you're ever going to have a marriage of unity, understanding, and love, you have to be willing to fight daily, but not with your spouse. You need to be committed to fighting with yourself. Telling yourself no, telling yourself uh, it's not about me, constantly is a battle we must be willing to. Uh, to fight. And so we schedule regular removal of selfishness. Paul admonishes us there not to use our liberty uh, as license or selfishness. Can I ask you this probing question tonight? if I were to stop for a moment and ask your spouse or someone else that knows you very well, maybe your son or daughter or a close friend of yours, would that person say of you, if they were given room to answer honestly, would they say you're becoming decreasingly selfish or increasingly selfish? Like, how are you trending? Because you're not static tonight. I'm not static. I'm either a more selfish pastor, selfish husband, self, selfish father, or I'm moving the opposite direction, becoming more selfless. And if your spouse had to describe you tonight, the patterns, the habits, the, the, the ruts that you're ingraining into your relationship, are you becoming known as less selfish or more selfish? Um, that's a probing thought. That's a convicting thought. I think, honestly, all of us probably need work on. And so may we ask God to help us in that for the benefit of our marriage that brings him glory and honor. All right, go to verse 15. Let's look at a second thing we need to put on the docket or on the schedule regularly that gets these weeds out that creep in so easily. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. We'll come back to that verse more in just a moment. He goes on in verses 19 to 21. We'll break these down in just a minute to list the lust of the flesh. Number two, jot this down. Schedule regular removal of the flesh. So removal of selfishness. Number two, removal of the flesh. Um, any of you concerned as I am about how things are trending with national debt and uh, especially how that affects our, you know, obviously our future and our kids and grandkids and now maybe our great-great-grandkids at this point? Um, but inflation is something that we're hearing a lot of. I don't know about you, like, have you tried to buy something lately? If you can even get it, you're like, you're kidding me. A sheet of plywood is what again? You know, or whatever the case may be, whether it's a shortage or just prices being hiked out, uh, hiked up, we see it across the board. An article I was reading the other day said this, beware of shrinkflation. Uh, this is inflation's devious cousin. Downsizing is a really sneaky price increase. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Consumers tend to, the article said, consumer, consumers tend to be price conscious, but they are not net weight conscious. They can tell instantly if they used to pay 2.99 dollars for a carton of OJ and now it's 3.19. But if the orange juice container goes from 64 ounces to 59 ounces, they'll probably not even notice. And that is going on. Any of you in the, John probably should confess right now in his line of work where that's happening. But it's amazing to me how you don't notice those things subtly creeping in. And the same thing is true with our flesh. Listen to me tonight. We are very, uh, it's hard for us to pick up on where our flesh is adding baggage, where it's loading down the relationship. You ever wonder why you can't have a meaningful conversation with this person you chose to live with and do life with? Could it be there's so much weighing down that we can't even get it off the ground? We can't get to a certain altitude in our perspective on an issue. We can't see beyond the immediate issues because we are so loaded down and bloated, if you will, with the flesh that is ruling in our hearts. In fact, the flesh will suffocate the life right out of a marriage. It will, uh, over time, break down those meaningful connections that God initially gave. And so we need to schedule regular removal of flesh, flesh; these carnal tendencies. All right, let's talk about two of them. I gave you there in your notes, as it relate, or three of them, as it relates to um, the flesh. Number one, we need to be willing to remove consuming influence, and he references that in verse fifteen. You bite and devour one another. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. We all know that the flesh kills, right? The flesh corrupts. The flesh. It literally consumes things. It doesn't give us anything. It takes from us. And the same is true in our marriage. A marriage between two carnal people, even believers, will lead to them consuming things of each other. And it's interesting here because what's the thing that Paul is confronting here in Galatians? He's confronting what kind of thinking? Legalism. They were emphasizing the law. And by emphasizing the law and trying to do it in the flesh, even doing a, quote, good thing in the flesh was causing them to violate the law, to hurt one another and to harm one another and even to eat up, if you will, one another, devour one another with their flesh that is never passive or neutral. And so the backbiting and the devouring that goes on in the marriage is because both, one or both have not chosen to weed out this weed of the flesh. And so the flesh always leads to corruption. We'll get to that in Galatians 6 in just a few moments. But here would be the application of that. So here's what we do. We tend to minimize the flesh that we have and how it's hurting or harming our spouse. And here would be kind of the scenario. A husband will yell at his wife, but he will tell himself that it was just one little moment and comfort himself with the thought that despite his anger, she knows that he loves her, that he, that, that he loves her. On the flip side, a wife may be nasty in the morning, punishing her husband for something done in the prior day, but she tells herself that it's a new morning, and of course he really knows as well that she loves him. And it's those little moments of letting the flesh, we tolerate it, we let it creep up and and crop out of the situation. It it raises its ugly, ugly head, and we don't own that that is consuming, it is corrupting the relationship that should be honoring to the Lord. And I mentioned this last week, I think, but it, it is, brethren, the little moments. Um, think about how many big fights. I'm talking downright fights. I, just, I was visiting with a newer family in our church the other day, and she was just giving praise to the Lord that her husband and her had been married 50 years. He's now with the Lord, and I was getting to just know their family a bit. And she said, we had one fight, and she was just sharing it. It, it about ended it all. We only have a few of those, each of us, probably in our marriage. I hope that's true of you. But what, what leads to the unraveling of a marriage is those little things, right, that we don't own, that consume just a little bit of the, more of the joy and the peace and the mutual respect and appreciation that should be shared between husband and wife. And so we need to own where we are influencing our marriage in a way that is consuming instead of edifying. All right, verse 19. Let's go now to some blunt things that happen when you and I do not remove the flesh. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. All right, let's talk for a few minutes about the second thing that needs to be removed. First, consuming influence. Number two, sexual unfaithfulness. He lists now some immoral things that a marriage that does not root out and doesn't weed out the flesh, this is where that marriage is headed. First of all, he uses the word adultery. This would be unfaithfulness in the marriage relationship. It is specifically related to marital unfaithfulness. Fornication would be unlawful, um, immoral activity. Uncleanness would be moral evil. Um, sensuality is actually the word there, is the idea. lasciviousness, which is a word you can't say without spitting usually if you say it too quickly. Uh, has the idea of shameless conduct that involves the absence of restraint. You just cast off all restraint and you just let your flesh take you wherever it wants to go. And when we are not weeding out the flesh, listen, brethren, all of us in the room, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most happily married to the most relationally at a distance from others, we are all uh, subject to and prone to slipping into one or more of these areas and so this unfaithfulness is the end result of not weeding out our flesh you ever watched this would just be an example if you ever watched I'm, i'm thinking of men especially because that's more where i counsel and friends that i have where you watch a man leave a perfectly beautiful sweet wife for a worldly objectively not even intrinsically from a distance at least as even attractive but it's listen to me it's strange flesh it doesn't have to be more attractive, it's just different. And what happens if we are not weeding out the flesh, our hearts and minds begin to wander. We need to own that tonight. We need to be honest about that and appreci- appreciate the significance of weeding out that weed that we think and feel is not such, quote-unquote, a big deal. And I say this regularly in my counseling, but the physical relationship of marriage is the greatest barometer of the health of that relationship. Um, I spend very little time in counseling dealing with that specific issue, but I often find when there are other issues, that area of the marriage struggles as well. And so I ask you tonight, how are you doing in that area, and are you protecting that area of your marriage at this stage of life, whatever that is for you, to protect you from moving uh, in this direction? You know, one of the best ways we can be a witness in our day is in a world that is totally turned upside down and perverse in this very area. By practicing marital chastity, being committed to our spouse, the world takes note of that. There's so little of that in our day. And I think that's why Satan attacks so much the marriage is because of that very reason. May we be chaste. May we be committed. May we do so by weeding out our flesh. All right, thirdly, if you will, go down, if you will, down to verse number 20, the beginning of the verse. He goes on to list some other things, idolatry, idolatry witchcraft thirdly jot this down this if we do not weed out the flesh leads to consuming influence sexual unfaithfulness thirdly spiritual unfaithfulness so now we move from the area just described in verse 19 these immoral activities and directions to now outright full-blown spiritual unfaithfulness when you hear someone's involved in idolatry or witchcraft what do you think of when you hear that Do you kind of put them in a separate category? Wow, that person is involved in witchcraft. You do know any of us can move in that direction. I hope the video I showed at the end today of Christ saying to Peter, who was going to preach the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he called him Satan. We all have that within us. There is that fallenness that can align with the devil against the very will of God. And so if we do not root out the flesh, eventually we will be known as one who is spiritually unfaithful. The word idolatry has the idea not only of the worship of idols, but the immorality that goes with that. And obviously in the temple worship, often the priest and priestesses were involved in not just idolatry, but in immorality. And so he says, if you don't weed out these things, uh, it will lead in this direction. Then he uses the word witchcraft, which has the idea in the original of related to drugs. Uh, The word is the same word we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals from. Because often in this day, drugs were used as sorcery and, and, and this idea of intercourse or interaction with evil spirits. Uh, all of this uh, is where things go if we do not root out the flesh. So you say, Pastor, of all those things we just talked about, what, what do we do with that? How, how do we process that? What do we do with that as a couple? What do we do with that as a family and as an individual? I think here's the truth. We fix our marriages vertically, before we do anything horizontally Um, i love that paul here does not deal with specific petty things or individual divisiveness he's focused on the spiritual needs that first must be resolved between each person and their god and it is only when we have confessed our lack of commitment to god and love for god his plan his purpose his call it's only then that we can be in right relationship with the other person because here it is listen to me It's not about you getting on your wife's page or you getting on your husband's page. It's both of you getting on God's page. He has an agenda for you. If you're married tonight or not married, there's a reason for that. And we must be stewards of that, not to get out of it what we want and what our flesh wants, but to please him in all that we do. All right, the last one, the end of verse 20, goes on to say this, variants, hatreds, variants, emulations. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. Lastly, jot this down, antisocial divisiveness. Antisocial divisiveness, so that which distances us from other people, this divisiveness. And he lists all of these graphic words to describe that uh, antisocial behavior. I don't know about you, but when I, when I think Heidi and I have some differences or I hear of someone else who does, I tend to think sometimes like the world. What's the number one reason for divorce, or at least the one we associate most with it? Irreconcilable what? Differences. We feel like they're just, we're at an impasse. I guess we, we pull the cord. I guess we just, we we just kind of just move our own separate ways. There's no way to resolve this. Instead of owning that the divisiveness is because we are antisocial. We're, we're about us, and we don't care how us impacts others' Around us, and so he, he talks about these. Before we list these, um, I don't know if you realize this. Maybe Carnies and a few others that have moved here from other places, but us Midwesterns, which I guess you guys maybe are now, but we are known as uh, being a bit indirect with things. Like about uh, like if you go to you go to Boston and you're an idiot, they're going to tell you you're an idiot. Here in in the Midwest, we have nicer. We kind of beat around the bush, and so I don't know if you know that, but we are known for that. Just kind of. We just don't get to the, we don't go for the throat, if you will. And the other day, someone posted this little, so the guy asked, how do you politely tell your visitor that it's time to go home? I was sharing this with a couple of you. If you're from the Midwest, this was this lady, which I think is so true. You just say, well, and you slap your knee. And then the other guy, the other Midwestern recognizes the signals that I guess we should head out. That's kind of, you know, when they're at your place, Welp, you know, and then you stand up and the other guy gets the clue. I guess it's time. To get out of here. Does that resonate with you? We have ways to kind of sublimely, versus if you were in Massachusetts or other places, you'd be like, come on, get out of here. We're done. Let's, let's cut our losses. We're, we've done all we can. And so, this idea of kind of being passive aggressive or indirect with things. And I think sometimes as it relates to our divisiveness, we are more antisocial than we would care to admit. Notice the things he lists here very quickly. First, the word hatred has the idea of strong feelings of, of malice. And they are directed at a person. So you're not just hating a thing or hating an experience. You're hating a person. That's the idea here of the word hatred. Variances or discords or quarrels, just perpetually arguing. Um, are you known for that? You can argue at the drop of a hat or are you someone, someone barely can corner you to argue. You, you, they, they just, they can't get you to argue. Which, which direction do you lead? Emulations would be distrust or suspicion. Hey, where were you? Hey, you were five minutes late from work or whatever the case. Hey, where, where'd the extra money go um, for the, the grocery budget? Whatever the specific thing is, but we tend to be suspicious and distrustful. That's the idea of emulations. Wrath is a sudden outburst of hot anger or passion. Um, it, just, it just overflows. It boils out. Uh, strife. These are self-centered uh, strivings. The idea of being number one, even at the expense of the other. I'm going to be top dog no matter how that affects you. Uh, sedition, separations caused by disagreement. You just We can't agree, so we've got to totally separate from one another. Heresies, these would be um, sex formed by men, S-E-C-T-S. Sex formed by men with self-willed opinions. Separation caused by um, that self-willed opinion. Um, I notice that a lot. It's just it's just how I feel about it. And and if you're not willing to align with me, it's over. Forget you. And and that kind of a mindset that that is obviously not what God would want. Uh, envyings a displeasure of the success or prosperity of others. They're getting more free time. They've got a better paying job. Whatever this comparison thing that often creeps in. Murders would be unlawful killing of others. Drunkenness refers to intox- intoxication caused by strong drink. Um, I think I touched on this a few months ago, it's been longer than that, but when COVID first hit, especially the quarantine phase that we went into immediately, alcohol sales went through the roof. You know how much issues we are going to be recovering from for years to come in mental health and relational challenges, and a lot of it is being medicated right now, self-medicated by this substance and others? Um... And yet, sometimes in our marriages, I hope it's not true in this room, but we tolerate these kind of things, not realizing we're playing with fire. Lastly, revelries, riotous gatherings for entertainment accompanied by often drunkenness. Again, this, these parallel thoughts. All of these antisocial, hurt others at any cost to get what I want out of life uh, has no place in uh, a marital relationship. Sin, here's the sequence, get this down. Sin is always self-focused and therefore is antisocial. You get sinners together, they can even be into the same sin, but eventually they turn on each other. Sin is always self-focused and ultimately is antisocial. And so if you're tolerating sin, no matter how private and detached it may feel from your marriage, it will ultimately harm it. Do not play uh, with that fire. And I think what we do, to excuse it, is we dehumanize people. And I think there are two ways of looking at this. This thought's not original with me. I've read this from several authors over the years. But we dehumanize people in two ways. First, they, they're not objects of our affection. They either are vehicles or obstacles. So either as a vehicle, I can use you as my spouse or other relationship. I can use you to get what I want out of life. Or... You're in my way to get what I want. Either way, they're not a real person with a heart and, a, and, a, and a, a, a mind and sensitivities, and so we just bulldoze our way over them or we use them to get what we want. And I just want to challenge the men and ladies in the room, do not treat your wife or your husband that way. They're not a vehicle. They're not an obstacle. They're made in the image of God. They are a, a co-heir, as Peter says, of the grace of God. And so do not use them, do not view them in that manner. And then notice the end of verse 21 quickly, and then we'll pivot to the positive part of our study tonight. Notice he says this at the end of verse 21. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it is antisocial vertic- or horizontally, but also vertically. Not only does it hinder our marriage, it also hinders our relationship with God. These works of the flesh. Now, this kind of, this final thought, and we'll move to our second point. In Genesis 2.24, it says that God takes two and makes them what? One what? One flesh. If that is true, then when we do not root out the flesh, it does affect the other part of that union, right? If we are one flesh, you understand the spirit of that in Genesis 2.24, and you have fleshly things you're not dealing with or your spouse does, it will impact that relationship. You are one, and whatever you tolerate and allow that should be weeded out will in some way impact them. Do not be selfish, be sanctified. All right, number two. Go, if you will, now back to verse 14. And let's talk about, secondly, now the agenda of pulling weeds, but number two, the planting of seeds. Um, <laughs> You ever, have you ever pulled weeds? You've ever cleared a, some ground and then just let it just be, be just void and, and vacant? What happens? Does healthy stuff just start popping up and hey, there's the. No. If you weed it and leave it, you get weeds again, right? Sometimes more than you had last time because now it's, it's clear and receptive to everything that uh, is dropped or is germinating in that soil. And so it, it's not enough just to weed, we have to also plant seed. Um, and I think sometimes if I were to ask you this tonight, here's how, we, here's how we are. So if I ask you, where do you have needs on the area of weeds in your marriage? Oh, let me tell you about Buck here that I'm married to or sister so-and-so I'm married to. We know of the weeds of our spouse that they need rooted out. Can I encourage you to focus on where you need to weed out, but also where you need to be planting? Um, this is a way you can proactively even sometimes displace the weeds that seem to always creep in. All right, look at verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Wow, this is, Paul is about to, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, to sum up all of the law in this one word. Notice it, that this one phrase, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Number two, or number one here underneath of these, the first thing we need to schedule as it relates to planting seeds, schedule regular deposits of love. Schedule regular deposits of love. Um, any of you know what I'm talking about? When I talk about you go to like an Italian restaurant, I wish we had more of that cuisine in in Wayne County, but you go to an Italian restaurant, you order a lasagna or something. Again, man, I'm talking about too much food today. I don't know what the deal is. Um, But, uh, and they bring you your entree and then what do they offer to put on top of that entree, right? They shred some cheese and what do they say? The waitress says to you, say when. Just let me know when, it's enough. Have you ever thought about what happens if you don't say when? Maybe you thought of that? The other day, a guy was, uh, this is just, I have a weird sense of humor, but he said, when she says that, have you ever thought about what happens if you never say when? And here was his scenario. The room fills up with Parmesan. Everybody dies. That's the end. It's, it's over. Okay? You never said when. Um, as, it, as it relates to love, can I just encourage you? We can't overdo that. Um, I, I think we often, we settle for less than these regular deposits of love, especially as marriage ages, as life progresses. We tend to not make the deposits we once did. And if you think about it here, I've, I've grappled with this text, but Paul sums up the whole law in one command, love your neighbor. I don't know about you, I think I would have gone with Christ teaching, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I would have probably started with that one. But Paul sums up, as he's teaching these Galatians on their relationship with one another, that all of the law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. In one sense, I think, obviously, Christ's teaching was accurate, but so too is this, because how can I love my neighbor as myself? How can I love them as myself without the example and the grace of God to help me? Without a loving relationship with God, I can't love my neighbor uh, as I should. And so it is accurate to say that loving our neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. (laughs) Now, this question, when you think of neighbor, who are you thinking of? The guy that's been living next to you for 40 years in your subdivision, you know who your closest neighbor is, don't you? You're probably going where I'm going, the one you wake up and go to bed with every night. Or you go to bed every night and wake up in the morning with, uh, if you're lucky, if you can both get to sleep at the same time, especially as life progresses. But they're your closest neighbor. Loving our neighbor as we should is the fulfillment of God's law. Problem is, that neighbor that we have closest to us, we often are less respectful and loving to them than we are complete strangers. There are things that I've said in my home, I hate to admit this tonight, I've said to my, my kids and to my wife that I've never said to a stranger. I'm not saying vulgar things, just angry things. I let things come out in the home, I let my hair down, I let my mouth loose in ways at times that I don't in other settings. Are you willing to admit that as, not, as well tonight? And so we need to attend our marriages and steward well the relationships God has given by making regular deposits of love. I think we have time. Hold your place there in Galatians. 1 John, would you go there for a moment? I want you to see this verse because it needs to hit you, I think, this evening. 1 John 4 and verse 20. Hold your place there in Galatians. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 In verse 19, he says, we love him, God, because he first loved us. But notice this verse, verse 20 of 1 John chapter 4. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Okay, that's pretty direct. Why? For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So here's what we do. I love God. But yet in our actions, we are saying the exact opposite because we cannot, or I would say we will not love the person he's put in our lives. May we be honest enough to admit that and may we invest in our marriages the love that we should have, not because we love God, but because he first loved us. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The opposite of love is not hate, it is apathy, apathy. Uh, Hate, we can work with that. We can argue our way through that. But apathy, there's no starting point with that. There's nothing to build on that. And so may we not be apathetic toward the person God has given to us. The fundamental sin we often commit in our marriages is not hate. It's the sin of inattention, especially as it relates to love. And again, I ask you the question, if I ask your spouse, are you increasing or decreasing your deposits of love? If we're not careful, we have to go back to our Court, courting days, our dating days, our early honeymoon phase, to remember regular frequent expressions of love. It ought to be increasing every day, every week. Again, it looks different at different stages, but it, are you increasing your deposits of love or are you decreasing? All right, go down, if you will, now to verse 22. So we talked about the works of the flesh. Let's talk now about the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Number two, jot this down, schedule regular deposits of the Spirit. Deposits of love, number two, deposits of the Spirit. And this would run opposite of the deposits of the flesh. So what does it mean to plant new seeds of love in your marriage? Let's talk about now this list that begins with love and all these others that are listed after it. Let's talk about these quickly. Number one, spiritual joy. How do we make deposits of the Spirit into our marriage? First, by investing joy uh, into the relationship. Um, The best way I've heard joy defined it is this. Joy means being better at counting your blessings than you are at calculating your complaints has anybody ever said, okay, I'm sick of hearing how amazing your husband is or your wife is. And you know, sometimes you can brag on your wife or husband in a way that really is just making you look good. So I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying where you're known for talking up your husband or wife and not in a way that's disingenuous or dishonest, but you're focused on that. Your spouse, stop complimenting me. I'm sick of it. Have you ever been accused of that? Um, I'm being somewhat facetious, but are you known as someone who's all, you know what, honey, I just appreciate you always do this and you always do that. And sometimes you don't do it, but you did it today. And I'm grateful for that. And just savoring with joy, the things you see that God is blessing you with through uh, your spouse in your prayer life. This is, this was convicting to me, as I thought on this in your prayer life, what is God hearing from you? God, help me deal with this person I'm married to and their issues, or is it you spend some time thanking him for that person? They're not perfect, but you picked them out for me, and, and I'm just going to enjoy that and celebrate that uh, in a way that pleases the Lord. I don't know about you. Of all the things I like to be around, there are certain relationships I like to be around, but the favorite place that I love to be, I can think of very few that would parallel this, is being around an aging couple who enjoy each other. For one, it's a rare thing. Can we be honest and admit that? Number two, it's fun. They're jabbing at each other. They're smirking at each other. They have little things they're saying that you don't even hear anything being conveyed, but they just, they enjoy each other. Um, I think all of us are going to get to a moment if we have our spouse with us still that we're going to regret we didn't enjoy them. We didn't learn how to have joy together, sharing moments, sharing experiences. We just, were business partners when God meant for marriage to be so much more. All right, number two. He lists not only joy, but peace. We ought to invest peace into the marriage, spiritual peace, Um, committed to peace, overlooking minor offenses, being willing to forgive, uh, as we studied last week, without a bunch of song and dance, and they have to jump through hoops and grovel on their knees on gravel for miles, and whatever the scenario is, we, we make it easy, as easy as we can for reconciliation, investing peace in the relationship. Here would be probably the best way of putting this. We find unity more attractive than winning. Unity more attractive than winning. And peace more compelling than power. Is that the way you do marriage? You, you value peace more than winning. You value the unity of that. more. It's more attractive than winning. And peace more compelling than having power. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago. John Maxwell, who's known for teaching on leadership and Things of that nature, he used to be a pastor. <clears throat> he was using the analogy of you know a person by what they do when there's tension. A coworker, someone that works for you or works alongside of you, he was using the analogy in the business setting <clears throat> that when things get tense or friction breaks out, which kind of person is, which kind of way of approaching that tension is the person around you? Are they the person that dumps water on the fire or one that pulls out the gas can? And he was saying the idea, we ought to be in our relationships, the guy with the bucket of water, not the guy with the tank of gasoline. We're pursuing peace. We're facilitating peace. We're not upping to ante as someone else is arguing. One of the best gifts you can give your marriage is you feel things escalate. You answer with a soft answer. Not just for your own benefit or just for the other person, but for the sake of your marriage. Are you known as that person? Are you making regular deposits of peace? How much peace would be in your marriage if it depended on how much you've built of it lately? Or is it just kind of this uneasy truce between you? What are you investing uh, to have this peace that we see described here? All right, thirdly, long-suffering. Spiritual long-suffering. Isn't that really what marriage is? It's just a long... Uh, journey, if God gives us that, uh, of suffering through things together, and sometimes suffering because of that person, their immaturity, their selfishness, the things we've listed prior. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a detailed person, so that, that you know that of me, and I have a way everything in our house should be done, and it's amazing. My family doesn't agree with me in, in many ways, and I, I, I mean, I'm the leader. I'm the fearless leader of the family. You would think they would honor that and respect that. But the other day I heard someone talking about I like uh, this would be a major issue in our home and I'm somewhat not kidding. I I pay, you know, my wife works a bit as well, but I buy soft drinks and bottled water and things for our family and literally there are half full ones everywhere all the time. It's like why did you open the new one? There's one right there that you just started an hour ago. Finish that one first. But anyway, Someone said this, there's no chapter in the parenting book that covers the amount of half, this is so funny to me, the amount of half empty bottles of soda and water you consume so they don't go to waste. I didn't see that in a parenting book. It's like, we're not wasting this as you down another, you know, and just, it just drives me crazy. Finish the thing, you know, or don't open it. Um, Long-suffering. There are things, let's be honest, it's not really the thing. It's the fact it keeps happening over and over. You keep saying it that way. You keep doing it or not doing it. Um, That's an attribute we need to be planting regularly. And maybe the reason they do it, starting with yours truly, with the half-empty bottles, is it's teaching me long-suffering. Do we view it through that lens? And how can we grow in that to help our marriage move forward? All right, next, Uh, he mentions goodness. Did you see that there? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Um, The idea here of goodness or gentleness is the idea of kindness. Both of these words have the idea of being kind or gracious. Spiritual goodness or kindness, being kind and doing what is good toward the other person. And I mentioned it earlier, but don't you remember what you used to do in kindness when you were wooing or when you were dating or when you were pursuing that person? I never sang a song on a little guitar to my wife, but I did other things that I thought would impress her, um, that would draw her into relationship with me. And, and sometimes as the years go by, those little things of kindness and goodness begin to fall by the wayside. If you would just this week, just, take a, just make a few deposits on that front. I think you'd be, res- you'd be amazed at how your spouse would respond to that. Um, the same kindness that brought you together is the, only, is the same kindness that alone is going to keep you loving each other and together. May we invest in that on a regular basis. All right, a couple more and we're done. Next, spiritual faith. He says not only this gentleness and goodness, but faith. And it has the idea of faithfulness. It's, it's being committed to uh, God being committed to those that he's put in our life, spiritual faith. Um, I don't know what your vows were when you got married, if you're married tonight, but I've, as a pastor, some of us have navigated this in the room. There've been all kinds of things that are trendy associated with um, marriage and weddings. And I, I remember several, I don't know if you remember the phase of the, the different colored sand. Instead of a unity candle, they had these two colors of sand and there's this wonderful music and you just stand there watching and you know just very moving if you had that in your marriage i'm not trying to offend you tonight but it's funny how we have all these things these symbols and things that we do and then marital vows we get creative with those um and i'm, I'm a bit more of a traditional guy as it relates to the wedding vows but do you remember before you get to the vows there's the pledge that the way that it happens at least in how i typically officiate the wedding unless i get redirected toward sand being mixed together on stage not that i'm picking on that is I will ask them of their intent before they come up on the stage. And some of the words that, that I ask that they are to say, I will or I do, they're, they're committing this before they talk to one another. They're committing to the Lord. Wilt thou have this woman or man to be thy wedded husband or wife to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of, mat, state of matrimony? Will you love her or him, comfort her or him, honor and keep her or him in sickness and in health? And then this phrase, and forsaking all others, keep thee only unto her or him as long as you both shall live. That is a, a, a asking for a commitment of faithfulness. Before this throng, before the God who is watching, are you committing to being faithful? Faithfulness fades, does it not, if we don't invest in it on a regular basis? Um, and I just ask you tonight to think on this for a moment. Do not allow your eyes to wander. Don't allow your heart to wander. Don't allow your mind to wander. Um, you may not do so in an immoral fashion, but do you ever wish your husband or wife was more like so-and-so? Would just make life easier. It's nothing uh, improper in a sense that you understand tonight, but just I wish he were more like so-and-so or not as much like uh, he is. And we contrast them or compare them to others. Uh, be faithful to them. Be faithful to who they are. Love your spouse as you promised to do publicly. Do not abandon spiritual faithfulness. And I think saying it, you're the only one, you're, you're my one and only, saying it verbally, affirming that in other ways, not maybe in a cheesy way, but in a sincere way, make sure your spouse knows you have eyes and a heart only for them. All right, a couple more, spiritual meekness. He lists their meekness. This would have the idea of Uh, being gracious, and again, kind of parallel to the thought of gentleness, being spiritually meek and lowly as we've begun studying on Jesus on Sunday mornings in our small groups and Wednesday nights, spiritual meekness. I don't know if you remember your boy, especially boys, if you had boys when they were younger, and they maybe wrote you a card for Mother's Day or something like that, Um, and by the time it made it from where they originated it to your hands, it has some things added to it and, and tweaked about it, such as there's a stain from something. You hope it's not what your worst case scenario was. And the card is also crumpled. And it just they lack the ability to like, take something from their heart, put it on paper, and then deliver it to you without damaging it. You know what I'm saying? You still treasure it. In fact, you probably wish you could have, some of you now as your kids are grown, another bent, dented, whatever they gave you in days gone by. But there's a lack of ability or maturity to handle that with meekness. The word meekness here has the idea of of something that doesn't get damaged in the process of you handling it. Um, God has given you his grace. He's given you his wisdom. He's given you his spirit. And here's my question to you. When your spouse receives it through your life and lips, is it dinged up a little bit? Or is the meekness of your heart and soul allow it to be faithfully passed on to them as a conduit, not a cul-de-sac of his grace? And so meekness allows us to handle what God has given and deliver it to our spouse without damaging it. Could it be that your spouse doesn't have a heart for God or some other aspect spiritually, not because of God, but because of how you're handling it, how you convey it, how you interpret it, how you apply it to them? Uh, Handle these things with meekness. This meekness is recognizing that we, if we could change the other person by the volume of our voice, as one author said, the power of our vocabulary and the force of our personality, Jesus would not have had to come. Like, rest in him. Just be what God's called you to be. Don't raise your voice. Don't lack on this gentleness front, this meekness front. Let him do his work uh, through this attribute. All right, and then lastly, he says this temperance. And this would have the ideas we all know in the room self-control, spiritual temperance. A good marriage is always the result of saying no. And that no is not to the other person, it's to yourself. No. 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 Spiritual temperance is a vital component, seed that needs to be planted on a regular basis. When's the last time you've said no to yourself? For the benefit of your marriage, for the benefit of your spouse, for the benefit of your family. When's the last time you've honestly, uh, in a sacrificial way, said no to yourself? This temperance uh, is a vital characteristic. It is a willingness to critique your own thoughts, to edit your words, to restrain your behavior out of love for your spouse and a love for what's right. When's the last time you even wanted to say something? No, I need to rethink how I'm going to say that. Um, Be willing to not just express yourself without a check, without a filter, um, and often we are most guilty of that with those that are closest to us. Now, as we read that list, are you overwhelmed with that as I am? It's like, you know, my wife knows me, and, and your spouse knows you. How in the world do I plant these seeds on a regular basis? Well, may I remind you tonight that these are not described as works. Isn't it interesting? The fleshly things are expressed as works. These things listed in verse 22 are described as what? The what of the Spirit? Fruit. So it's not about you self-generating these things. It's you getting out of the way so that the Spirit can use your lips and your life, you as a vessel, to plant these seeds, listen to me, that will produce the fruit that we all yearn for in our relationships. And Go back to verse 16. Paul even gives us this hope as we're overwhelmed with, man, I'm so prone to the works of the flesh, and I can never produce the fruit of the Spirit. Well, notice he gives us hope through his Spirit that enables us. Verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's kind of like um, the air in a, an empty glass. How do we get the air out? We fill it, as D.L. Moody said, with water. That water displaces the air. Um, that's the idea be filled with the spirit you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh Uh, verse 17 for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would but if you be led of the spirit you're not under the law so yielding to the spirit letting the spirit help us will displace those works all right then if you go to verse 25 so after he lists these things and we must crucify the flesh with the affection and lust he says if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit so here's the thought tonight god is not just saying to you outside of your marriage hey guys here's what i expect of you good luck he is in us and therefore he is in our marriage helping us to produce these things now that's both hopeful right that gives us hope but it also does what it removes what our excuses We have everything we need through Jesus Christ to have a marriage and have other relationships defined by these standards. So stop settling. Tell me the same. God has given us with His Spirit the removal of any excuse. Well, that's not us, and you don't know our history, and you don't know how I'm wired. Um, Through the Spirit, as a believer, if we have Christ, we have His Spirit, He can come and help us pull the weeds that are so prone in our lives and plant the seeds that we need. All right, let's end in chapter 6. Would you go there in verse number 7? You say, Pastor, why should we weed and why should we seed? Why should we pull weeds and plant seeds? Here's the admonition found in Galatians. Verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Those are irrefutable laws. Verse 9, here's now the admonition or application of this. Paul says this lovingly and yet firmly to us. And let us, notice the plural there, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If I were to ask you, as you drove by, I don't know, think of a home, maybe in between here and your house, maybe it's your house. We'll so give you the benefit of the doubt. That just has pristine gardens. They've got you know flower beds, and, and the yard is just like golf course material, and all the you know all the mulch beds are not just you know wet weeded. They got you know the edging, the whole the full deal. Okay, the whole deal. You would not drive by that house and say that's amazing. Just naturally, this habitat, there must be something about the soil in this neighborhood. As soon as you look at that well-groomed, productive yard mulch, some of you are like, we're just trying to like, keep the weeds down in our yard. I don't know where you're at on your yard management. But you would never drive by and say, that just happened. You're looking at what? A lot of what? Hard work. And the same is true in marriage. Healthy marriages, let's be honest tonight, don't just happen. There's a lot of work involved. Work in pulling weeds, those hurt, those are tough, and planting seeds over and over and over again. So marriage is the long term, and it always involves hard work. So as you think about your marriage tonight, as we conclude, may I encourage you to think about the beautiful marriage God could give you if you'd be willing to pull, pull the weeds and plant the seeds. And may I say tonight as you consider that, most of those weeds and most of those seeds need to happen in your own heart if you're thinking in abstract or in like more out there issues well our finances or our our home management or our schedule you're thinking superficial the weeds that need pulled are in your heart and they're in mine the seeds that need planted don't need just germination in the heart of your spouse or someone else that you care for they need to start by being planted in your heart And as we do that, I believe God will bless and God will grow our marriage. And so I ask you this question as we finish tonight. Will you and your spouse finally say, or whatever other relationship this may apply, we will make growth and change our daily agenda. And if we start with us, all of us can start with us, God can grow and change the other relationships we're in. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your goodness tonight.